Welcome to the latest instalment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by three tech leaders to discuss an intriguing topic, where will AI lead us? But before we delve deeper into this topic, let's work our way around the room and make some general introductions. So, Huram, if you'd like to kick us off. Sure. Thanks, Connor. My name is Huram. I uh, run uh, the operations here at Dianox, uh, where we developed an AI drug platform based on uh, DNA technology to be able to push uh, the, the frontier on uh, on medicine. So most of what we see, we've come across in terms of uh, medicine today is really based on a lot of uh, outdated uh, modalities. So, you know, you have like antibodies and these things. Um, and what we found is, you know, uh, when we start working with machine learning, it's just a lot easier to uh, to design and manipulate uh, newer technologies like DNA. So we uh, we started on that approach uh, and uh, have been going on now for five years. And uh, personally, I, I have a background in data science. So, you know, used to be a specialist, but not really that much into the field anymore. Now I'm like more of the guy who uh, tries to avoid saying the wrong thing when uh, when my engineers are explaining things like, you know, the tech to me. So I don't look like an idiot. Um, and besides that, I still like I still enjoy prototyping in my uh, in my spare time. Um, uh, do a lot of uh, uh, things that other people I think consider being you know a waste of time. Uh, you know, like uh, I build my own bike. I also at some point bought a motorbike. You know, took it apart. Uh, struggled for a long time to put it back together, <laughs> but managed to do it. Um, and yeah, I think in like now, I think I'm very, uh, you know, as I'm getting older, just very enthusiastic about healthcare and, uh, and, uh, especially all this, uh, you know, all the hype around AI now and what it can unlock in, uh, in healthcare. I feels like it, that's the, every single conference I go to. So it's very happy, like, you know, I'm very happy to be here and, uh, try to discuss it with other people that are like in the, in the know. Seems like there's certainly a commonality there, but you're taking about the, the predispositions of the, the pharmaceutical industry and breaking it apart and using AI to improve that. It sounds like you do the same in your personal life with the bikes and the motorbike as well. So definitely a theme there. And Jonas, if you'd like to give us an introduction, mate. Yeah, thanks, Connor. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, my name is Jonas. I work as a uh, independent freelance consultant uh, within the medtech field. Primarily, it's regulatory affairs and clinical development with a little, of, uh, a little bit of quality assurance and my focus is uh, on medical device software, which is also called software as medical device in the US, but but primarily within that, uh, the new niche of AI and machine learning enabled medical devices. Um, mm-hmm. Before I was self-employed, I worked a little bit in Nova Nordisk, uh, Dawn Health, um, mm-hmm. uh, which is also an SMD uh, company house, and uh, Agilent Technologies for that, um, my background, though, is, is very far, actually, from anything software. So it's, uh, I have a, a master's in molecular biology. Um, yeah, I don't know how I ended up there. It's just a great year of things, I think. But uh, in my free time, um, I actually enjoy traveling, um, reading books, watching movies, anything not regulated, basically. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, and looking forward to the discussions today. Well, it's a pleasure to have all three on the panel today. Quick follow-up question on the back of that. Favourite movie? Oh, that's always the gentle one. Like one movie. The one movie that made me love movies was Donnie Darko. And then, yeah, Blade Runner. Maybe. Dark. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is dark, but yeah. Also, by, by no means last, well, by no means least, uh, Anton, if you'd like to give us an introduction bit. Yeah, so my name is Anton Benkestock. Uh, I work for Danfoss IT. I'm a senior product manager and uh, also senior product owner. And I'm responsible for what's called the experience cloud of our 1CM system. So that user experience, especially the external users, but also the internal. And also in the capacity as a project manager, I have uh, been managing uh, uh, a few uh, AI projects also, and AI is also something I'm looking into implementing in my, let's say, external user experience. So it's something I care a great deal about, and it's something we are thinking about every day. It's something we are trying to make, you could say, a habit in our everyday life at Danfoss. Why? It's because as soon as you start to build something, you have to think AI. If you just think about AI, when you process a sort set in stone, so to say, then good luck automating anything. So um, 
Uh, that's uh, how I work with AI. And then besides that, I'm a teacher. Uh, that's my education. And then I took a master's degree also at a university in design for IT. And uh, so I have a bit of a weird background. So I'm used to learning quite fast, uh, making decisions. And uh, yeah, I definitely think the whole AI journey requires those skills quite a lot, which I also look forward to listening into today. So I don't know too much about you know, medicine and all those other topics, but I'm quite sure uh, there's some, uh, let's say, things we have in common, uh, some common challenges that, that I look forward to nerding a little bit. And interests outside of work, Anton? Well, I do a lot of weird things. I love to do weird things in general. So one of the weird things I do is um, with my family, I do YouTubing with Viking stuff because I think Norse culture is very cool and I, I enjoy it, especially the whole emphasis on uh, nature and making sure nature is in a good place. That actually means quite a lot for us. So we use a lot of time on that. And uh, this is also one of the main reasons I love working at Danfoss and I love working with automation. It's honestly to have a positive impact on the way that the world is developing in relation to nature. So that's uh, something I, I know a lot uh, besides other things such as, I don't know, making apps for App Store and all these weird things I do in my free time. Uh, well, thank you for the introduction, guys. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. As I say, it's, um, it's an interesting topic today that could take multiple different routes, but I know that you all posed a question in the group chat prior to the recording. So Jonas, if you'd like to kick us off with your question. Yeah. So of course, coming from the original service side of it and my daily work, I think an interesting question now, it's just heavily discussed is how how the future of regulation will actually be handled for AI, uh, machine learning enabled medical devices, um, specifically medical devices, but also how that might impact the global market um, in terms of business, new novel technologies, and what you guys think and maybe have tried on your own body. That's a great question. I think, um, you know, from what what I've seen, we tend to be, you know, we t we tend to be very uh, strict on the regulation here in Europe, uh, and and then it, it kind of goes in waves. Sometimes it's the U.S., sometimes it's us, right? We're just waiting for someone to, you know, mess up, and then you know, they, like, you know, they, they tighten the leash uh, over there. But what I'm what one thing I'm noticing now is, uh, having gone through like you know the uh, regulatory journey myself and bringing uh, healthcare products to market. Uh, there's a lot of documentation that needs to be done, you know, like on a, on a on a on a practitioner level. There's a lot of things that you need to have in place before you get your C mark to 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 get approved in Europe, which is the most difficult one to get right now if you're doing health tech. Um, and people have started using AI for it, which is which is quite ironic because you know if you have an algorithm uh, that uh, classifies as a medical device, you know that's that's its own journey. Uh, but at the same time, I, every screen, I, like every time I come across someone uh, here in the office, you know, they have one screen open with uh, with ChatGPT and, and one with their real work. Uh, so they're using AI to get AI approved. So it's like this meta loop. <laughs> uh, I, I have no idea where it's going to end up, but I think in in my experience, uh, you, regulators just tend to always be a step behind. Uh, that's just the nature of uh, of things. And hopefully, you know, we'll we'll get some positive changes uh, out there, and that's going to lead the way on, on the regulation. But unfortunately, historically, it's typically when you know, especially in healthcare, it's if somebody dies, if something goes wrong, then we regulate. Uh, and that kind of brings me back, like you know, before yeah, I want to give Anton a chance to to answer as well. But at some point, I think we got to dive into our interests. Because uh, I'm very like you know very excited to talk to you guys about like you know both I can totally picture it Anton on the on on the Viking stuff, and uh, Jonas for the uh, for the Blade Runner thing, 
it is such an interesting topic. You know, I, I would really want to get your perspective on, you know, this doom, doomsday scenario one talks about when it comes to AI. I, I'm, I think you could almost guess what your stance is, but I really want to hear from you. Like, what do you think? You know, like, are we going to like, you know, is AI going to kill all of us? Well, what's going to happen? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, not to, to dive through. No, I, I think maybe Anton should add a chance to, to answer the question as well. I, I think uh, compliance is actually, I mean, it's one of the topics that I'm really interested in for many reasons, because it really matters, right? You know, your CEO, if you say compliance or something, he starts shaking, right? He starts sweating a lot. And then if you fail to live up to compliance demands, the hammer will hit you. And I think it's fair to say to the whole world that, uh, as I already explained here, we are not very mature in the compliance area anywhere in the world. Uh, yeah, Europe is very restrictive. Uh, China is uh, off and on. USA is a little bit, it feels like the Wild West sometimes in relation to regulations here. So basically, it just underlines the image that you have to be agile uh, as soon as you start implementing AIs and have to adapt, be able to adapt to change. I think that's completely key. Uh, and then, of course, ally yourself with the compliance department. If you have such one, really, really do it. And if you don't, maybe you should look to getting something external to support you when you work with a, 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 a vendor for the AI solution you have chosen, be it Microsoft or whatnot. Because, of course, there's many things we have to consider, even more so if your business is a scaling one and you think about AI. Restrictions really, really, really matter. And you don't want your company's sensitive data to suddenly get picked up on AI and shared in some way that you cannot account for. Then you will have a major, major issue and you will have a very angry CEO or boss or something like that. So I think it's it's just follow AI-based practice here. Have a very, very clear strategy. You should probably have some pain points or risks highlighted, right? Nothing big surprise here. Compliance should definitely be a big, big one. And make sure you draw your processes up. Make sure you can handle an audit, be it a one from you know a governmental body or your own body. Have that done. And then listen to your legal guys. Don't take chances here because you can get into a really big mess. And I think this uh, this has to be accounted for as a, one of the main priorities when you want to implement, implement any AI process these days, be it regulations from governmental bodies or your own business units. They also have their own bodies and restrictions. Every single region around the world might have specific restrictions on what should be shared with different, you know, even different contexts within the same account or same company, same colleagues. Right? Maybe there's restrictions here. You really need to step careful here. So really have your vendor in a tight, tight, tight leash. And probably if I was to advise you, put your vendor in front of you. Make them take the brunt of the legal stuff and sign a document that when stuff goes wrong, you just throw it out there and then it's their problem. That would be my strategy in these crazy days. Uh, that uh, that is their problem to deal with. Is it like that for you, Jonas? Do you do you feel like people put a lot of pressure on you when you're uh, you're working? <laughs> well, being a regulatory consultant, I mean, there's a lot of expectancy of you knowing all the answers, right? Um, and that could be difficult because just now I knew, like, I I posed the question. I, I, I asked the question, I should have the answer, right? But I really don't have the answer. I mean, I think that's why I posted because it's so interesting. And that's how it is often as a consultant too. Like you should never lie, of course, but often you have to be clear about you not having the answer may, means maybe that the notified body or the other regulatory authorities don't have the answer either. And I think that's the, the reality right now. It's so, so fresh and prompted and I agree with you that at we in the EU very uh, it's reactive the regulations like the NDR was you know based on the scandal it was created very rapidly based on a, a huge uh, scandal in, in France and I think the AI act has been speeded up due to ChatGPT blowing up right so um, yeah I just think it's it's extremely difficult to answer what's going to happen but right now it's it's also interesting to follow the divergence. Like the, almost like deglobalization when you look at regulation, um, because it's so different in the US and EU right now. Because right now in the EU, of course, they're ending up with the AI Act, which I think everyone here has probably heard of. Um, while in the US, that's not you know something they're going to follow. They're going to follow internal guidelines and at uh, least burdensome approach. And yeah, you could talk about this for hours. I think it's 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 interesting because in terms of the actual question of what how will it impact the global market 
as a consultant, you're honest, I mean, very often you're asked, how do we get quickest to market? What's the easiest way to a path to market? And there's no easiest way, but the most transparent way right now is the US. Because in the EU, there's a lot of regulation, which is important. It's not that it shouldn't be there. It's very, very, that should be emphasized. But there's a lot of regulation with no guidance right now. So how are you supposed to follow the regulation, right? So that's also very difficult. And maybe yeah. to add to that, sorry uh, to interrupt, but just to add to that, because it's so complex. Also consider working unions, like say in Germany, they're quite strong down there and they don't like AI. Well, they don't like anything that smells like it's taking jobs out of their members' hands, right? And you have to consider this along with regulations. So you need to be super proactive here, really involve them. Everyone, you you, 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 have, you probably have forgotten 50% of those you need to involve for sure. So unions, anything related to anything political, involve them from the get-go, or you can suddenly hit this roadblock and you will just be going nowhere and you will look very silly. And yeah, I, and I, I, I tell that experience. Yeah, and I agree. I agree. And it's not that I mean it would be It would be uh, strange if I didn't, if I wasn't pro-regulation. Of course, I am. I mean, AI is an amazing tool, and of course, also does risk involved and the benefit of it, and that needs to be controlled somehow. But it's also interesting looking at how and what level of scrutiny needs to be there to also enable novel tech to get to market in due time. You know, um, yeah. I also think if regulations, right? Yeah, we, we put in a negative light. Let, let, let's try to put on the other hand, right? That That's what we are here for also. I, I think, uh, like, let's say Danfoss, right? We we try to chase to be best in class, basically. The most boring person in the class when we talk regulations, we follow the hardest standard. And then you can uh, see that as a problem or you can try to see it as an opportunity, as a, as a sales pitch, right? Where we say, one of our values is that we try to be the best in class, which we believe create an increase in trust from our customers. The customers know that when we treat or manage or handle their data, we really care about it. Also, when we talk AI, we are not throwing it all over the place, as you might find with other companies, right? We really take it into consideration. I think, and I think that trust aspect due to these regulations and uncertainty will become more and more important for, for, for your, your customers, right? That you actually are on top of regulations here. You are not just making mistakes to the left and right. So I think uh, based on the attitude and the company, I think you can turn regulations into a strength of your company if you live up to them, for sure. Absolutely. Completely agree. And and it's interesting, the question about the doomsday scenario, you could actually enter this here too, because like, yeah, a lot of people are like, oh, well, AI take over the world and stuff. I think for me, no, because there's also what is AI versus machine learning, right? Mm. Um, and that's not, we're not looking at Skynet right now. <laughs> it's, it's something else. It's, it's, it's the most advanced it's ever been, but I'm not afraid of that. I think what's interesting and being discussed right now is the, why it needs to be regulated is also due to the biasness contained in the data sets you use when you use machine learning algorithms or AI is, is from humans, right? So if it's, if it's not taught, if we don't teach the machine how to use these, Data sets, it's just as biased as humans are. But it's being used today because there's no actual regulation in a lot of places without control. So if that spins out of control, then what happens, right? I think that's a more interesting doom scenario that might actually happen. It's maybe not a doom scenario, but could be not the best. Yeah, so, so interesting. Yeah, I totally get that. I think, you know, on a on a personal level, um, I'm totally pro-regulation. It's, you know, you just need, there are just too many opportunities for, for bad actors uh, to take advantage. Uh, so you need to have some sort of like, you know, checks in uh, in place. The real challenge I feel is, uh, you know, having, having worked uh, not just in Denmark, but also in other countries, is that in Europe, we tend to be you know, we, we tend to have this like very old school approach to things, you know, as you mentioned as well, you know, FDA is extremely transparent, even uh, as a, uh, as a small company, you can go into like, you know, the FDA and you can find out exactly what you need to do. Uh, like, you know, how, what is this, like, what is the safety that you need to prove your product needs to have to like, to get approved. Uh, but in Europe, it's, it's a little bit more murky. You know, you have to go through consultants, uh, no offense, <laughs> but, <laughs> Not but you know, the, the knowledge is not like, you know, is not transparent, is not that easy to access. But and my, my biggest like issue with uh, with uh, with Europe is by the time, you know, something just be does become transparent and it gets like regulated to that level where it's open, 
it's it's really ridiculous initiatives like the cookie policy, right? You know, uh, EU has a history of uh, of just doing like you know just half-assed initiatives and not really taking things like you know into account in the long term, like actually doing uh, where where they think they're doing something good, but really they're just wasting a lot of people's time. And I I, I fear that nothing's changed on that front. I, I don't see you know uh, we we work with some of the some of the lead guys in uh, in in machine learning in the world. Uh, we don't see them at EU, right? We see, we see them at, at at Google. We see them like in like at Nvidia. Um, it's just not a like you know it's not a sexy like you know uh, uh, industry to be in. Uh, they don't pay enough to to attract these guys. And the real problem is the tech companies will like you know will pay maybe ten to sometimes a thousand times their salary because they give share options. Uh, and so you're having these extremely talented people that are trying to game the system to get their products out faster. Obviously, you know, in a safer manner, but they're trying to get products out there and services out there to to make money. Uh, and they're up against maybe not the the brightest fish, right? You know, may, 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 you know, I, I don't want to sound like the asshole here, but it's just you know, it's not a fair game. So uh, when you go in, in in that constellation, what often happens is you know these guys that really want to uh, in, in the U.S. is slightly different, right? You know, there's a lot of lobbying uh, that happens over there that is in favor of the big tech companies. But I don't know what we what we do in the in Europe because I, I'm obviously not part of like that uh, that dialogue. Uh, and I do know they do invite people over for like for their boards and you know to have these discussions. But it's not in the same way as the U.S. where they favor big tech companies and let them take advantage. Here, it's I sometimes it's quite the opposite where they just make some half-assed rule that doesn't make sense to anybody, and we're just sitting back like really. That's what you came up with. That's what you want to announce to the world. Yeah. Indeed, I think uh, definitely much. some definitely some interesting points made there. I think Haram touching on the the doomsday scenario. I think that's something that we're going to explore. Maybe not so so in depth, but you mentioned there. You go through the office, you see people with ChatGPT open on one screen, their actual work on the other. So one thing I'm curious about is your inquiry in regard to cognition and whether it will replace humans. So if you'd like to pose that part, question to the panel. Absolutely. So uh, let, let me try to let me try to recall it. What did I say? Um, well, something along the lines of like, you know, when humans become machines, right? Like, you know, uh, as AI systems approach uh, human-like cognition, uh, what's going to set us apart from machines? Well, uh, if I can pick that one up. So that's a little bit interesting, right? So cognition, we mostly think about, let's say, rational thinking, logical thinking, logical tasks such as calculations, coding and, and, and whatnot, right? And I think uh, your question will be answered over time because it, it's quite clear, right? You you have, let's say, automation in general because we can discuss what AI means, right? You know, it, it generative AI, uh, <clears throat> machine learning, rules, whatever. It's just all tools in a toolbox, right? That will be used over time and new ones will be developed. But what is for certain is that when you come with automation, which is what an AI does, it will be used to replace cognitive tasks or mundane tasks, something that can be coded to some extent. And this will trigger a behavior change, I would assume, because you you, you have your young kids now these days, and they have these parents uh, that have absolutely no life. I'm one of them who's like, oh, my child actually needs to be one of the successors and not uh, lose in this world with increased competition, all that. And then we sit and think and reflect about with the child. So what skills should you have to succeed in the future labor market? And it's clear when you see you have an AI like ChatGPT or whatnot, you're like, oh, I don't need to do that much anymore on that. Like with the calculator, right? You don't need those math skills with your pen anymore because I have a calculator. The AI is the same thing. So suddenly you can automate all these things. And that means that you need new skills to be competitive in the market. Social skills, other competence we haven't thought about before. This will evolve forward time. And I think it will be super interesting to map it out and to see what actually will be in demand on the market. Uh, I'm super curious about that. And do you have any predictions yourself? I find that really insightful, and I suppose it's a perspective I, like said, social skills. and Social skills, I think, would be extremely critical because the machine cannot replace that, right, to some extent, right? So so you have to be to be wise on how you communicate, how you talk, how you express yourself, how you make other people listen to you. I think that, that would become quite critical. But then I also think, and that's my, uh, you know, I have a teacher background and it affects my brain like a, like a virus almost, right? I really think, and this has been mentioned before, blah, 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 you need to be able to learn fast. That's true. But now it's completely key. You 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 need to be able to learn quite fast because that's almost like, you know, you have to keep up with that. You have to understand how do we apply these new technologies to the work? How do we implement them? How do we work with them? You have to learn like that all the time. And of course, 
having AI complements that, which means that the, 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 the previous rate of being able to learn increases manifold. That also means if you're the one sleeping in the class now, before you might be behind with one miles or two miles wide, now it's 10, 20, 100, if you don't focus on this one. And I think that will be a really, really big thing, be able to learn. And it's also something we already know here at Danfoss or any other big company. You, your role changes all the time. No, all the time, you, you you just have to be able to learn as fast as possible. And uh, I think AI only increases that dramatically. I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's it's one of the it's one of the most like you know most uh, common uh, commonly used exercise that we have here actually when we onboard people. And uh, and and I, and I love that you you do like you know you you uh, mentioned this as a, as a teacher. You know, we, one one challenge that we see is when people like you know when we uh, onboard uh, graduates, especially you know people who just finished their degrees, is we kind of have to retrain their thinking. You know, they come in with like you know if, if you look at your workplace as a as a uh, as a fixed list of tasks that you need to do. Uh, you couldn't be more wrong. I think uh, you know you you might get away with that for like the next maybe five years, but these job these jobs are like getting automated every single day. So you need to start getting a lot more creative. So we we kind of see this as a as a line. So if you know what one thing that you do in like in universities, all the way down to school, uh, uh, for all the way down to high school is, you if you have this solution here that you're looking for as a teacher. You know, I will give you as the student. I'll tell you what the problem is you need to like to to solve. I'll give you the curriculum you need to read, and I'll even tell you outright in the classroom what I need you to talk like you know tell me like back in at the exam. And if you just do those things, you'll pass the exam. But I want you to move further back the line, like you know one step at a time. Okay, I'm gonna tell you the question, but I'm not gonna tell you what to read. You need to find that out for yourself, and maybe take it even one more step back and say I'm not even gonna tell you the problem. I'm gonna show you my product, and it doesn't matter if that product. Product is a uh, is a half built platform, or if it's a brand new Tesla, I'm gonna give you a finished product, and I want you to look at it and tell me what's wrong with it, and then try to figure out how it's gonna be solved, and then you know work your way into like you know whatever method that's required. Because I think if you have that mindset, that can't be automated, and that's the only way to really future proof our jobs within our lifetime. I think. Yeah. I have a funny example, if you like the cringe cases like this, right? But I had a, a family dinner, you know, they always get super boring. So we discuss nerd stuff like we're doing here. So that's great. And and, and some of the young people at ta- the table, they're like, yeah, we don't philosophy. That's so boring. Why do we have to learn that at a, at a school or class? And of course, as a teacher, I my head turned red and my hair stood on like this crazy fire and nostrils were being whitened and all those great things. And I'm like, do you know what's the most important skill? If you want to work for me down at Danfoss, the most important skill you need to learn is be able to use philosophy and to learn fast and think fast. If you cannot do that, I cannot use you for anything. That's what I told them there to try to motivate them to, you know, enjoy their philosophy classes a little bit more. It's completely critical. It was in the past, many thousands of years ago. And these days, it's it's a requirement. I cannot use you if you don't, if you cannot do that. If you come to me and go like, oh, yeah. I, I worked on this ERP system for 10 years or 20 years, and then and now we have a new system. And then you tell me, oh, that's so hard. I don't know how to do it, blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry. You, you don't belong in, in my world anymore because, as I highlighted earlier, everything is changing on a daily basis almost. That's what it feels like. And if you can't keep up, if you don't enjoy that chaos, I guess, and you also learn to apply AI to manage that chaos, then uh, you have a challenge ahead of you, for sure. Yeah, I just have a quick follow-up question. I think it's a, a combination of the two previous questions, whereby we had regulation and we also had education brought up in this one. What's your take on, I suppose, you mentioned that graduates coming out of university, coursework, can all be done through AI as well now. So does that need to be regulated? Does that need to be checked and tested? And I wanted to get your opinion as a teacher and a, perhaps an edu- somebody with an education. Oh, that, that, that's a good question. I hope a lot of politicians are listening along here. Um, what I think is very important is they start listening to to the to, to job market uh, and uh, both the big and the large ones. I think it's very important to get out there and hear what is the need, what is the urgency and how fast is it moving. Uh, I know they're really bad at that. That's my honest opinion. Uh, luckily, my wife is actually one of those trying to do a good job here because she's working for the local government trying to implement let's say, AI and technology practices into the school system. So there's definitely bodies out there working for it. But what we also know is that when budgets are cut, and they are being cut these days, right, it's hard to find money. We all know first, you know, where it goes, right? They go to education, learning, training. We do that in our own company too, way too much, uh, which hurts my heart. Uh, but they also do that in the, 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 the government system. And uh, I think uh, it's actually 
Sad to see. I think it's trending the wrong way a little bit these days. And I also think that the experts that they have inside the universities, they're completely out of date. I remember a few years ago, there was actually a big bodies from the university that was so hyped on implementing iPads into the classroom. Like it was the biggest thing ever. And of course that failed completely because an iPad is actually just a, you know, a technology tool and it doesn't even facilitate collaborative learning or anything like that because it's a single screen, right? But that's because they, they are so far behind that they just see these trends and then they try to, to think that these trends are something we can translate into classic uh, school teaching and learning. And I think this is it's just way too slow. Uh, our students needed to, to understand basic code uh, 10 years ago. That's where we're at where they needed to learn to understand, oh, okay, how can I actually, for example, if I draw something in an art class, how can I program and, and animate this picture I was drawing? Just basic code so they can sit down with a, a programmer developer. And when they explain, oh, we did this in Apex of so the logic looks like that, then they kind of have an idea about what they're talking about. Hmm. But they're not there at all. And I think uh, we have too many um, clever professors or whatever in uh, the high towers and they don't understand what's going on in the IT office or you know, at the big companies in Denmark or the small companies, I don't think they actually follow these trends either. And if you look at social medias and so forth, you can also kind of see that the universities, they're not, I mean, to be honest, they're not first movers on the social platforms where things are actually happening. I don't see them there. And I actually keep an eye on that stuff. And I'm like, ah, come on, why are you always so behind? And I think it kind of is the same with the government, right? They're just behind. And maybe it worked five years ago, 10 years ago to be behind. It doesn't anymore. So you see a lot of companies opening their own educations, right? Because they're like, it's useless. Uh, they're coming out and we have to retrain them anyway. So why not uh, attack the issue further down in the life cycle of the, the, the future employee? I think we could sit and talk all day about private public organizations and the funding realms that occur or perhaps are behind. But Jonas, I'm intrigued to hear your take on this one as well. I know you yeah. Yeah, there's so many good questions in dialogue right now, but uh, especially the one from Momentum there about uh, being behind where I'm very much agreeable. And I think that's also a clash between the academic world and the industry because the academics don't want to, yeah, they, they kind of want to keep a lot of PG students in academia without having them lost into industry. And that makes the whole industry a black box for a lot of industry, I mean, students, which I think is very, not just conservative, but plain stupid but yeah but for the for the other one you post kind of i think it's also interesting because it's also about responsibility i think i mean when you use chat gpt there's no label claim on it have being able to diagnose uh being a web MD or something so it's all about well we know that when you ask it something it doesn't give you references unless you put it in the right syntax right so maybe people should be trained how to use it i don't know i don't think necessarily regulation is the right answer there I believe it is when it comes to a label claim claiming uh, some kind of medical purpose. But but for that, I think that would just spin out of control because then when do you stop regulating? And then we're back to, we discussed earlier, like, you know, EU is very conservative. It's very regulatory heavy. Um, and again, I'm pro-regulation, but I have to say I agree that there's, it's, it's, um, it's worrying to me that there's too much regulation with no guidance on how to follow it in the EU versus the US. In the US, you cannot ask the FDA. You can't ask anybody in the EU because it's not allowed. So yeah, you can ask consultants if you have enough money, right? but that's the thing. It's all also about money and it's about creating a environment in the country and the union that's favorable for startups that might become the new Facebook or the new Tesla, but now they're moving to the US because it's easier. I think mm -hmm. that's an incredible shame. Um, and I see it all the time because I'm sometimes forced to advise it. So, yeah, there's so many good dialogues, but that's at least my my answer right now. If that made any sense, it must, uh, that makes perfect sense. Well, I'm I'm kind of curious when uh, if you come across some of these startups, you know, uh, the next Facebooks uh, of, from Denmark. Uh, what, what kind of advice would you give them if they reach out? Do you give that like, you no? Know, would you like them? Uh, imagine that they're listening to the podcast right now. What would you have like, you know, have them do before they meet you? Before they meet me, honestly, what I advise every single one of them because the U.S. market is somewhere on the roadmap. Maybe not the first market, but it's probably a market at some point. Um, even if you're not going to have Europe as your first market, you can still register with the FDA. 
pay the minimal fee because it's actually cheaper when you're a startup and go to them with a pre-submission to what's called a Q-submission process and ask them some of these questions. If you can understand the guideline, at least there's a guideline on it. Um, asking your network before you hire consultants out of pocket. Um, go ask Medicoin which I'm also part of. The daily standard sometimes is also very helpful, um, although it's, it's heavily on standardization. Um, yeah, not yeah. That's probably the best advice I would have if you have to look elsewhere than consultants. It sounds very useful. I, although I know I know a few people at Tenskevel uh, and Tensk Industry who would uh, probably be very upset with you for for sending the most promising tech startups to the U.S. right away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but actually, um, as as part of the the joint commission and on quality management and the and, the, and, the, uh, and stuff like that and the Danish standard, it's it's a very very heavily debated thing there too. And that's not because they want to send people to the U.S. of course, but we want to keep them in the EU, and I do too. I mean, I think we're all very pro being in Europe and having startups being able to prosper here. But um, it's very difficult, you know, to to say that it's the best market to be in regulatory-wise if it's not. Um, so what we're also discussing at the standard is how we speed along harmonization of standards, which would help, um, and look at maybe alternative approaches to, to guidance on how to actually comply with regulation. Um, and I think a lot of people are very agreeable that the AI act is incredibly vague and um, it's going to be difficult to implement it. So, yeah. I think there's plenty of ambiguity there and I think that's where you come in as well, Jonas, not to give you a shout out for your business or what it is that you do, but I think there's certainly a vagueness and ambiguity to be explored. And I think what I'd like to move on to is Anton, because I think we've discussed a little bit about the things in the present a little bit about how AI implicates the need for people, for consultants, for regulatory and how it affects education. But I think your your question poses a little bit more of a, a forward thinking into mm. the future perspective. So I'd like to hear that. Yeah. So this is in relation to, let's say, maybe you experience it also. I experienced it myself in my own body, at least, that, for example, after the, the COVID situation, um, the worker in mentality basically changed, especially if we talk white collars, where you have more focus on free time, you were less willing to drive to the office and all that good stuff. And we see this behavior shift, I would almost call it right now, in the labor force. And also you are let's say your aspirations, what do I want to do in life? What do I want to work with? I want to make an impact. I want to be the big thing and I want to really work with something that it's meaning to my life to some extent. And I think they're all kind of intertwined. And I think quite quitting is, for example, one of the trending words that we all hear uh, when we when we browse the internet and see what think people are thinking about. And of course, this, this drives change to many things. And I probably touched upon a little bit earlier. But what I assume will happen is that there are less people that will start to be willing to do the manual work. So let's say you work with IT in any system, medicine or with production companies like, like Danfoss. People will be less willing to do the manual boring work, such as handling a case with a complaint, an inquiry, an order or whatever. They simply just don't, don't want to do it. They don't want to waste time on it, et cetera, et cetera, which basically means, you know, it drives a need for more AI, more automation. It means that, uh, well, uh, you need to think about that the tasks you are giving to your employees needs to add meaning to their life. So I'm, I'm kind of interested in, in discussing and seeing where as more things get automated, this drives behavior change, for example, working from home. What role does AI even play here? How can it add to efficiency with this new working behavior that we are promoting ourselves with AI? It's like AI, implementing AI creates a need for more AI to facilitate this new behavior exhibited by the future and current employees also. So for example, can you have access to more data more readily? Can you set up workflows more easily online using AI? Compliance, can that get more manageable so you can access maybe to the information faster and, 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 and more quick because you don't want to do manual work. It's same with your partners or your vendors. They won't don't want to sit and click through boring web pages with all these annoying things and use tens of hours on clicking through your bureaucratic system. They just want a prompt where they can write, I need product information, this or this configurator here, and I can set up a, you know, a product number and a sales order automatically in your systems. I think that behavior comes more and more of that. And I thought that would be a very cool discussion because I think this is something many people are thinking about, right? They want to work with stuff 
that they feel that meanings to their life. And that meaning is changing these days quite a lot. Less manual tasks, more other tasks. There's so many, so many topics to touch on there. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. trying to, I'm trying to wrap my head around where, like, you know, where to, uh, where to begin. Because I mean, we we discussed it a little bit in the beginning, right? With this, uh, what what mindset you you need. Um, I, I honestly, I think you know the the, the simplest advice uh, you can give to to younger people that are trying to get out to work is um, is just read. I, you would be surprised at the amount of people I, I come across that stop reading as soon as they graduated. You know, that was it. They handed in like their last uh, thesis. I'm gonna like, you know, burn all my books. Whatever, whatever you do to to celebrate, and they they think that's the end of the learning journey. And it's it it's it's not feasible if you want to have a uh, potentially like a 50 to 80 year old career, like from the time you graduate, which is entirely possible. Um. And you think you're going to stop learning today, you know, and then I'm just going to like, you know, I'm just going to wing it. Uh, I, I had this conversation, I had this conversation with a very good friend of mine who, uh, who uh, uh, went into this engineering job and, you know, he was having like, you know, he was having trouble land the job. So we like, you know, we, we, we discussed this for a little bit. I gave him some advice and, you know, we, he ended up like landing the job. I didn't do much. I'm not trying to toot my own horns. He did, he did the work. So he got the job and a month into the job, calls me up and then he tells me, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Ah, there's just a lot of like, there's a lot of documents I have to read. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that, that's work. You have to you have to work. People are paying you to work. Uh, I, I don't know what, what your, like, you know, what, what your imagination was telling you, like, you know, what, 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 what work is like. And I think this is the point, especially very difficult to drive into, like, you know, uh, drive home in, in Denmark is like the salaries are extremely high. You come out of like out, out of university, you can easily go out and and get forty five thousand and sometimes right, and um, and that that builds up your ego too fast, I think, and that's that sort of just like kills any you know any uh, any drive you have to like you know, to to learning. So I think you know that's the thing that I try to keep in check. You know, if I, whenever you do something really cool, people are praising you, putting you on stage or in podcasts or whatever. And and you sort of like you know you sort of like you know fluff yourself up a little bit. You're like, oh yeah, that that was pretty badass. But really, you have to keep yourself humble and keep yourself curious and keep learning, because that's the way to 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 really get to the top. Because I've like of all the guys I've met, the smartest guys, the the most successful guys, the richest guys, whatever your goal is, they've always been the ones that are the easiest to talk to. They're totally humble. Uh, you know, I've met uh, Nobel laureates. I've met billionaires that make, came there from like get got there from nothing. And you would not be able to tell that they have a Nobel Prize or they that, or that they have a billion dollars because they don't they don't sound like they do. They're just like, oh yeah, no, that that's very curious. Like you know, that's very interesting. Tell me more about what you're doing. And and then they just like you know they're just trying to always get to the bottom of things. But when you meet people that are you know especially dangerous that I feel is like you no know, these uh, these people that are like mid senior level, you know they've had like people have had some success. And then they start getting arrogant and 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 patronizing people that they that work for them. Uh, I think these these guys are in for a hard time. You know, I, I don't think they're gonna they're gonna like what the next twenty years uh, are gonna gonna be like in their careers. I completely agree, especially about the last part, and especially now because that's a very conservative mindset that might have worked for the the, the earlier generation. But it's as Anton also said, like we need to be. People basically needs to be more adapted today than ever before, which also I think means yeah, keep on reading because education never really stops. If you go back to the the black box scenario about industry versus academics, it's a new it's a new education when you get into industry, right? They're not going to teach you any of those things in in DTU or anywhere else. So yeah, um, yeah, there's so many good topics, but also the thing about you know, will it take over the world? Will it take away jobs? Yeah, it, it might replace manual labor and favor of automation, but that just means there's more time to do other stuff, right? That's the part about being adaptive. So I think I think uh, it's going to be interesting how it's going to be implemented, but I don't see anything but really uh, yeah, interesting things. For the future. I, I, I also think it's fair to say that uh, automation, it will... It, well, let's talk a bit uh, doom and gloom, right? Because that's also funny. Let's a bit, let's uh, add a bit of drama here. I, I think it will be the case that uh, where you had 10 people before managing cases or whatever your company has, you will have one, two, 
And those eight possessions there, they will not translate into eight something else. Let's say, oh, you just, you eight people now, you don't focus on the easy cases, you focus on the super complex one. I, I think uh, that is also a little bit naive. And, and I don't mean that in a negative way to a company because, you know, let's get real here. What is a company about? Any company, really? Yeah, sure, it is about blah, 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 making a difference. But the primary task is to earn money, uh, especially if you're an American company. You legally, you have to do that. That's what you have to focus on. And I think if we ask as a society here, do we have this thing under control at all? Do we know where we will be in the 10 years? How does Denmark navigate in this environment here? You explained that they are way more expensive in Denmark, which they are, which means we put limitations on hiring people in Denmark. That's just how it works, right? Uh, so so that, that's also a narrowing factor. And you have these positions that are running out. What about the other people? What about those that are, yeah, they want to quite quit, uh, but they actually don't have, they just don't have the skills or the ability to upskill themselves to follow along? What happens with them? Well, 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 how, how do we face that issue? I actually have no clue here. I think this is a huge open box because we have no easy answers at all. I, I've not seen them yet, at least. No, and that's, and that's incredibly difficult to answer because that's very political as well, right? That's how society is going to change to accommodate those people that might mm. be less less um, able to be very adaptive. Um, and, and I think it, really, oh, yeah, it's crazy. No, that, yeah. And, and I think it's a bit of a problem because the, 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 the society is moving so slowly along in aligning with this change in behavior, market change and everything like that. So a lot of the responsibilities actually being placed on the shoulders of the company, right? So their ethical standards, how are they at? How much are they looking to automate? Uh, I, I've had scenarios where I look into with my team, we look at some AI we're implementing and we go like, holy shit, we can actually monitor people at this low level. It's actually insane. And we go like, we don't want to do that. We feel this is wrong. Uh, and I think I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm a part of a family-owned company, right? And, and we have quite high standards towards, we don't want to, we really want to keep people. We, we want to make sure that Denmark is a good place to live and blah, blah, blah. We're a bit conservative in that way in Denfoss. But for sure, there's other companies. They don't have those moral standards. They don't care unless the government tells them to do. They will I'm just sure there's a lot of those companies. Yeah, yeah, I will not mention them here. I will, uh, <laughs> but we don't know who they are, right? And 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 they will just run two hundred miles ahead, and maybe they're placed in the states, and this will give them a competitive advantage over companies who are trying to fill this role. Which honestly, it's the governments who needs to step the freak up and take responsibility for the speed of this development here, and they're not. And then they're placing on the companies. And at the end of the day, a company is there to earn money at a large scale anyway. You have a few outliers, so they won't pick up that responsibility. They will just, you know, use that exploit or opportunity to, to well, to earn more money. <laughs> so I have, what is your thoughts on that one? Uh, do you think uh, in 10 years, uh, 20 years, when your kids, grandkids and everyone else is out on that market, how, uh, who, is, who will save them? Who will make sure everything is not going crazy? <laughs> I, I honestly, I think it's going to go in a different direction than what we're seeing right now. I um, even if you imagine, if you take like all the jobs that are like that we know today that are manual, right? You just you know just delete all of them. Just imagine we're going to automate every single one of them. That we have to think, figure out something else to do. And typically, if you just look at it as a tool, you know, um, we figure out something to do with the tool, right? You know, even even uh, hairdressers use scissors. And they use them like in their entire life. And that might be one of the last things to go just because you need like so many different like, you know, uh, sensory systems to work really well. And uh, and it really comes down to fashion more than just like, you know, I want I want the same haircut every time. Right. Uh, but but I, I, I think we're going to go in a different direction. I think if you look, you know, beyond our lifetime. Uh, we're probably going to be looking at something very different in terms of what we do for a living. So, you know, no more of this manual labor that we don't like anyway. Like I, I've never met someone who like who enjoys going into work every day to open up emails and copy that data and put it into an Excel sheet so in like the same exact quitter. manner. You're a quiet quitter. <laughs> yeah, it, you know the, these guys aren't quite quitting anymore because as soon as like you know the last uh, the the markets crashed here like a year ago, uh, all these guys got fired, right? You know yeah, there were like a hundred thousand people that got fired in a very short time span. So all everyone who's quite quitting, um, I hope they're using the time to learn to learn another skill. Uh, yes. And if 
if they're not, I think they'll get forced to do that, do it at some point. You know, if, if we're talking like, you know, uh, like this universal basic, basic income and all these things that might come in as a savior, I, I don't really see it that way, uh, especially being from Denmark. You know, we've seen a lot of these initiatives like executed uh, poorly, I would say. You know, we we know the effect, the effects of these things. And if you if you meet and talk to some of these guys that like, you know, some of these people that are uh, that have been unemployed for a long time, it doesn't matter how much you try to help them. Uh, it's incredibly demoralizing to feel that you don't have any value to society. Like if you don't go to work, you kind of get boxed into this environment where like you can no longer, you don't no longer feel valuable. And it can also be very difficult to pull yourself out. And Denmark is notorious for having like a bunch of like initiatives for this, right? You know, you can get like uh, 17 different types of uh, financial aids, uh, like to to make sure that you stay in like locked into your position, and none of none of it turned out to help. Like we've had like thousands of employees working in job centers trying to help these people try to get into work, and there was a year where they didn't like refer a single candidate to an to a workplace. That's why we started shutting these down because you know it it clearly doesn't work. So I think it really has to come from uh, urgency. That's what we also see. If like if I, I I look a lot at entrepreneurship and you know how uh, how we can become better at innovation. And what we see from the countries where people struggle is they they make excellent entrepreneurs. And I think we have to, you know, we have to get there. And unfortunately, it's not going to be a fun ride for the ones who, who are pushed to that brink where, you know, uh, their job's gone and there's nothing they can do right now to like to provide for their family. And now you have to like, you know, really figure out what is going to make me uh, uh, valuable to the workplace. For sure. Big agree. Uh, I think that's a nice summary. I do. I think yeah. we've to touched on multiple areas there. I think some really insightful perspectives and even took different routes than I anticipated prior to the podcast. So really appreciate that. I think you took it in its own direction, which was was great to listen to here from a mediator's perspective. At this stage, I'd just like to thank everyone for the participation. It's been a really insightful listen for myself and I'm sure that some of the network that I serve will, will deem it so as well. If you'd like to join me in a future episode, please feel free to reach out to me at connor.leyland at evolution-nordics.com. But in the meantime, thank you for listening.